Thanks to Margaret for reading our gospel for today. It's a really long one, but an important one. Mark often puts stories side by side. And this one is actually a story within a story. And it gets at how often in life our story is connected, intertwined with the story of someone else. So it's important to hear both of them so that we can understand the bigger picture that Jesus puts in front of us today. But first, do you promise to tell the whole truth? I've never had that question asked of me in a courtroom, but if you have ever served on a jury or are in the field of law, you probably are familiar with that question as it gets asked of people who are taking the stand as a witness to speak about what they saw or um, to speak about anything that they're being asked in a courtroom. And that is also a really good question for us to give some thought to this day too, especially as we reflect on this story uh, right in front of us. But first, you might remember last week, uh, we heard the story in Mark's gospel where Jesus had been teaching and then decided to have just a little bit of a break. And so he and the disciples and others got into the boat and started out on the Sea of Galilee. Although a windstorm arose, right? And the disciples were, of course, afraid for their lives. And so already we are hearing this um, this dynamic of faith and fear. Um, these two themes that go all throughout our lives. And sometimes fear wants to pull us in one direction, and oftentimes the faith um, within us tries to keep us grounded too. Well, along that Sea of Galilee, there are all different areas and regions. And so in Mark chapter 5, you can read it at home, is a great story where Jesus ends up in Gentile territory, uh, people who were not Jewish. And he ends up meeting this man, this garrisoned uh, man who has been plagued with so many demons within him that has caused him to be ostracized from his community, changed chained up because people are so afraid of like the wild and crazy things that this man is doing and saying. And Jesus isn't afraid to name that demon for what it is. And then freeing this man from that power that those demons have over him. Jesus then uh, gets back in the boat and then we find that he ends up now back in uh, Jewish territory. But the thing that he is most um, like threatened by aren't the demons. They're actually crowds pressing in on him, which raises all kinds of issues of ritual uncleanliness. And the other thing that he um, is most <laughs> affected by here is um, what to touch and not be touched by. Uh, so the very first thing that we hear is this man, this Jewish man named Jairus, is the leader, one of the leaders in the synagogue. So a, a man of prominence, importance, great education. He's known by name. And 
who knows uh, what his fellow uh, uh, religious leaders thought about Jesus. I'm sure they had uh, some questions. I'm sure they had some suspicion. He wasn't coming through the ranks like they did. And in addition to being a religious leader, he was also a father, right? And as a father whose little girl was really, really sick at the point of death, all of a sudden, that is the thing that is most on his heart and mind. And so he sees in Jesus what he is capable of being able to do. And so he goes to him, begs on his knees for Jesus to be able to help his little girl. And when you look at what he says to Jesus there, he doesn't just ask, he doesn't just like hope or beg that something might uh, be possible. He says it in such a way that he knows Jesus is capable of being able to help his daughter. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. He knows the power of Jesus' touch. And then Jesus is like just about to go with this man when all of a sudden the crowds are coming around Jesus in a way that he is suddenly packed in. And yet, something happens. And he immediately knows that some power has gone from him. And then this woman we hear about, this woman who has no name, but who is a woman who has been suffering for 12 long years. Now notice how Mark describes her. She is a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages, bleeding for 12 years of her life. She had endured much under many physicians, had spent all of her money, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd. If you look closely at that sentence, all of the descriptions of her were past participles. They were things that have happened to her that almost she had no control over. The one active verb in that sentence is what she does. She touches the hem of Jesus' robe. She actively, purposefully, intentionally seeks out Jesus and thinks to herself, if I just but touch the robe, I will be made well. I will be healed. That action has so much faith in who Jesus is and what he is capable of. But of course, Jesus knows something happened. And just like God in the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis, where God knows that Adam and Eve didn't do the one thing God had asked of them, God says, hey, where are you? When, of course, God knows where they are. But he gave them that opportunity to come to God and to acknowledge, to make known what it is that they have done, that they have disobeyed, that they haven't listened to what God said. A parent does the same thing. Every time they see the guilt of something that their child has done all over their face or their hands or their feet, by giving them the opportunity to just come and tell me 
what it is that you have done. Jesus does the same thing here to this woman. But can you imagine what must have been going through her mind in that moment? In a time where women weren't even supposed to touch a male, where women weren't even supposed to speak to a male other than their husband in public, and at a time when having blood would make a person unclean and would make someone unable to enter into the temple, would have to go through a ritual of purification before they would be able to go and offer religious prayers and sacrifices. That woman knows how much trouble she is in. She knows how she certainly has every right to be punished. And probably what's also going through her mind is this immediate sense of relief and healing, maybe even energy now from the fatigue that she has known these 12 years and fearing that if Jesus finds out he will reverse all of that and leave her where she just was instead of where she is now. But she comes trembling and fearful before Jesus and she admits, confesses everything to him that it was her that intentionally touched his robe. And what's so interesting there is that she see, he sees the faith in her. She says why it is that she did what she did, thereby telling Jesus what she most needs and also conveying to Jesus how she knows what he is capable of doing and who he is. And so what is Jesus to say to any of that? But daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Amazing, isn't it? Now, I should also just step back to say, where is Jairus in the midst of all of this? It seems as if he is just nearby Jesus watching all of this unfold and we don't ever hear that he becomes impatient, that he tries to stop Jesus and move him forward out of the crowd, away from this woman, to go and get to his daughter. It seems as if Jairus just watches all of this unfold and watches what becomes true for this woman. And just as they are about to now start off again, he gets the word from his house, she's died. Your little daughter has died. No, why trouble the teacher now? No, bother, don't bother him anymore. And here's the thing. When we come to Jesus with what we need, whether for ourselves or for someone else, it is never a bother to Jesus. Jesus longs for us to be able to do this, longs for us to come to him. And so Jesus pushes forward. And then as they get close to the house, he literally disregards the people who laugh, the people who are crying, and takes everyone close to that little girl in with him to her room. 
And it's kind of amazing. Here's the second part of the story that uh, Jesus does the very thing he shouldn't be doing in that world. He touches someone who has died. Again, another thing to make a person unclean ritually. And yet, it doesn't matter. And so he takes the little girl by the hand and he gently speaks to her, Talitha Kum. And all of a sudden, the little girl wakes up and he looks at the people around and says, get her something to eat. And he says those words of, don't tell anybody about this. And they're kind of strange. We kind of wonder why Jesus says that all of the time. But you know that he must have been feeling how short his time here would be and how much he had yet to do. And you have to know that he probably wouldn't have been able to do all of the things that he would have wanted to do. I think that's the same right now for our world too. We so long for our needs to be met, for the needs of the people in our world to be met. We so long for healing to happen. And sometimes it doesn't always happen in the ways we want or in the ways that uh, we hope it will look like. Sometimes healing happens in a lot of different ways. And sometimes our story is connected to someone else's story. It's really interesting here in that we have a prominent man, recognized, known by name, and we have a woman who has no name, has no one who really knows her, no relationship that we hear of, family, and yet both are important in Jesus' eyes. One's a man on behalf of his daughter. One's a woman who normally would have no voice. And both are important. And for the woman, she clearly has done something wrong. And yet, Jesus still sees her need and he responds to it. And for Jairus, the truth that he now needs to speak, even though Jesus has told him not to say anything, you know that that couldn't have lasted for very long. Because for everybody who was around that house before Jesus got there, they knew what the situation was. And then for all of them to see this little girl up and walking around eating food after Jesus left... They knew what Jesus had done. And so for Jairus, part of the truth is recognizing that, is recognizing who Jesus is, what he has done, and being filled with such gratitude and thanksgiving for that. And when we have those moments in our life, when we have received those kinds of gifts, gifts of grace, gifts of love, gifts of hope, gifts of forgiveness, then that becomes a part of the story that we have to tell, a part of the story that we have to live in our lives. It's a part of what he has witnessed and experienced. And 
to not share that truth with the people around would be Jairus not telling the whole truth about Jesus. And for the woman, she told Jesus the whole truth, even though it could have meant great punishment for her. When we're guilty of something, when we've done something wrong, we need to confess that. We need to acknowledge it before God, before the people we've hurt. When we're afraid about something, either for ourselves or for someone we love, it's okay to acknowledge why we're afraid. And it's okay to ask for help for what we need. And when we've received a gift, an amazing gift, a miracle, no matter how great or small, that becomes what shapes us in our life going forward. We have to acknowledge it. We have to give credit to where credit is due. It's not our own doing, but the grace and love and mercy and forgiveness of our God. What is it that you need right now? Spend a little time thinking about that. There's so many things that we think we need from day to day. And there's so many little things that we wish we had. Things that we think would help us, that would make our lives easier. But when you really stop and think about it, what is it that you really, truly need? And how is it that you can lift that up in prayer? to the one who just simply longs for us to come first to God. And do you promise to tell the whole truth when you've done something wrong, when you're afraid, and most of all, when God has done amazing things in your life? Hopefully, We've got a lot of stories and a lot of truth to tell one another about what it is that God has done for us. Amen.